Would you please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Thank you, music team. Thank you, children's ministry people. I guess they're not in here, but we can thank them anyways. Thank you to those who uh, stop you at the door and ask questions. Thank you to those who help you find your seat when you get in here. There are a lot of people that go into making a Sunday morning happen, and we're grateful and thankful for all of you. If you think you might be able to help or are interested in helping in some capacity, whatever that might be, please come talk to myself, talk to Pastor Sam, talk to somebody, and we'll get you plugged in somewhere. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to read from verse 19 down to the end of verse 30. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19, this is the word of the Lord. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore to send him as soon as I see how things are going with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your, your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Would you please bow with me just one more time as we seek the Lord's face? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the ability that you have given us to worship you in song. We thank you that you have already heard our prayers that you have heard our prayers over the past eight months, you have heard our prayers over the past day as we have prepared for today, and we, we thank you that you will hear our prayers in the future, that we have that promise in Scripture that you hear those of your children that cry out to you in their time of need and time of help. Father, we thank you for the comforting words of songs that remind us that even though there is a storm raging around us, Our anchor holds within the veil that Jesus Christ remains steadfast and sure. We pray that you would help us to recognize and see more clearly who he is and what he's done for us. We pray now that as we come to this passage, that as we take a look at two men who gave it their all for Jesus Christ, that you would help us see Jesus in them, to glorify Jesus and worship him. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you've been tracking with us for the past couple of weeks as we've been going through the book of Philippians, 
it's a natural question when we come to this passage, verse 19 to verse 30, it would be natural to ask, what is this doing here? This almost seems out of place, especially if you know what's coming afterwards. Paul began with kind of an update on what's going on with him, that he still is very much preaching the gospel, and that's his top priority. That was chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 27, Paul began a long list of exhortations. Live this way. Live a life worthy of the manner of the gospel. Walk in this way. And then he details what this looks like, and he works into chapter 2, have the same mindset of Christ. It's natural to ask here, why does he break from exhortations, commands, exhorting the people of Philippi to live in a certain way. He's done that in chapter 2, and he's going to pick that up again in chapter 3 and basically carry that on to the end of the book. He's going to say, live this way. Why have a break from exhortations, and why break from what you're doing, Paul, and all of a sudden give us a travel update? It's really what he's doing. He's giving a travel update for himself, for Timothy, and Epaphroditus. Why this break? Why uh, a... And almost out of character in what you're doing here, Paul, you're just going to give us an update on what's going on with these guys. And I think it's because the exhortations that Paul has just worked through have the same mindset as Christ. These two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, stand as examples of what it means to have the mind of Christ. So Paul says, have the same mindset. Think this way. Have this attitude towards your fellow believers. Then he says, here's two guys. Because sometimes things are hard to understand, right? Because sometimes we may understand a concept, we may understand the actual command, but what you really need is something in front of you to follow an example of. Is anybody else willing to admit that that's them? Thank you, Nancy. Somebody else in the same court as me. Sometimes you just need, okay, I understand what you're saying, but explain it to me again. Just show me what you mean. And Paul does this with Timothy and Epaphroditus. The first thing I want to do is just look at these two guys, the things that are described, that Paul describes these guys as. We know a little bit about Timothy from other books of the Bible. We know that Timothy uh, went on a missionary journey with Paul, that he was picked up, Paul and Silas, they pick up Timothy and they, they bring Timothy along with them on their missionary journey. And that Timothy was there with Paul and Silas when they planted the church in Philippi. They heard the call, Paul had that dream, you'll remember, Paul had that dream about somebody over in Macedonia, come over here to us and preach the word. Come over to us and help us. And so Paul and Timothy and Silas, they get on a ship and they go across and they go to Philippi and they plant the church there. Timothy was one of the first founding members of this church. He's known, he's respected, he's trusted. We know a little bit about him from the book of First and Second Timothy, from those letters that Paul wrote to him, on the exhortations that Paul gives to him as a pastor, as an elder of a church. Here's how I want you to act and live We know a little bit more about him, but not a whole lot about Epaphroditus. This is basically it. What we get here is what we know about Epaphroditus. So let's first look at Timothy, taking some of those background things that we know from elsewhere in the scriptures, but focusing really on right here what Paul tells us about Timothy. Paul hopes to send Timothy to Philippi for his own benefit. Verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. Remember, Timothy is one of the co-authors of this letter. It's really written by Paul. Paul's talking about the I and the me as he's giving these exhortations. But at the beginning, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. That was back chapter 1, verse 1. Timothy is also a sending member of this letter. But Paul wants to send Timothy at some point later in the future. He's not going to do that until he understands what's going on with him. That is Paul. 
Verse 23, I hope therefore to send him, that is Timothy, as soon as I see how things are going with me. Timothy's there in the trenches with Paul. Paul is in prison, he is in chains, and Timothy is right there beside him, working with him, ministering to Paul, but primarily serving alongside him. And Paul wants to send Timothy to the Philippian church, not for the Philippians' benefit, primarily. He says, so that I may be cheered. That is, he intends to send Timothy to bring news about Paul, hear what's going on in the church, and it sounds like Timothy's going to come back to Paul, or at least send a letter. Send information somehow so that Paul may be cheered when I receive news about you. Paul is just so anxious to hear more about what's going on in the church, and he's going to send Timothy. We see that Timothy embodies chapter 2, verse 4. If you've got your Bibles, just flip back. It's maybe on the same page there. Chapter 2, verse 4, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. That was one of Paul's exhortations. Care about each other so much to the point where you give up the things that interest you. The, the most important thing for you may not be the most important thing for somebody else, and you be willing to give up some of your interests. Don't just look out for yourself. Look out for others. Put other interests, the interests of others, ahead of your own. And we see that that is Timothy. That is Timothy to a T. That's funny. His name starts with a T. Timothy to a T. By putting the interests of others first. We see that in verse 21. Everyone looks out for their own interests. We're not sure who that everyone else is. Maybe it's just a general. Everyone naturally does. You and I will naturally just care about ourselves. We need to take care of ourselves, but we naturally put our own interests above others. But Timothy is different. Because he puts the interests of Jesus Christ ahead of everything else. The interests of Jesus Christ take priority in his life. He cares more about others than he does himself. In some sense, we can see that in the fact that he stays with Paul. If you, on a human level, on a worldly level, looked at Paul's situation, being in chains, likely going to be executed, not really knowing what's going on, Paul talks about that a little bit, but if you're Timothy and you're serving alongside this guy, from a human perspective, you would want to disassociate yourself with him. Get as far away from him as possible because if you associate with Paul and Paul is executed, it's likely that you're next. But Timothy cares about the interests of Paul the body of Paul, how Paul is doing health-wise. He cares about caring for him, and he cares about Jesus Christ and his interests, which is primarily the proclamation of the gospel. The proclamation of the gospel that Timothy learned, if you look in verse 22, he learned the gospel craft. He learned ministry. He learned how to do ministry from Paul by serving with him. Look in verse 22. But you know that Timothy has proved himself the exact opposite of what was in 21, not caring about himself and his own interests, the interests of Jesus Christ. Timothy has proven himself in what he's done. Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Not served Paul, specifically served with Paul, side by side, arm in arm, serving with Paul in the advancement of the gospel as a son with his father. This illustration I stole from somebody else. I stole from Don Carson, but I'm still going to do it anyways. But I'm giving credit where credit is due. I'm going to ask a question, and I I actually want to see. It doesn't really work because we're all kind of spread out, and there's not as many of us here, but this will be interesting anyways. How many of you men, let's just do the men first, how many of you men are doing exactly what your father did vocationally? One, Two, 
Three, uh, three, okay. I'll be four. Four of us. Okay, how many women, how many of you are doing what your mother did vocationally? Let's just see. One, two, three, four, five. Not a lot. I think there's roughly a hundred of us here. So five men, five women roughly are doing what their parents did vocationally. In the first century context, if we think of Jesus, right? Jesus was a carpenter. Why? Because his dad was a carpenter. In the first century, century, and for the vast majority of human history, you naturally just did what your family did, what your parents did. You inherited the family business, whether it was the farm, whether it was making shoes, whether it was being a carpenter. Jesus became known as the carpenter from Nazareth. Why? Presumably, Joseph has died and passed on the family business to Jesus up until the point where Jesus starts his earthly ministry. We don't do that anymore, clearly, by the fact that there's only roughly five or ten of us who are doing that. But in the first century, when Paul says, because as a son with his father, Timothy came alongside Paul and served to the point where he is inheriting the family business. He is getting to learn the craft so well, not in a way where, he just want, where, where Timothy's going to buy the business off of Paul. It's going to be passed on. It's going to be an inheritance given to Timothy. And Timothy serves like a son. And Paul serves like a father. Not out of greed. No sense of wanting to get what is theirs. Get the right amount of money just before you pass that off to the next generation. They are working together in the work of the gospel. And Timothy learned how to do that by serving alongside Paul. He had the same mindset as Paul. Verse 20, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Not that there is nobody else in the world who could possibly think and have the same feelings as Timothy and Paul. What he's saying is, is I have nobody else who I know I can just pass this off to, like a father to a son. I can pass off my feelings in my ministry to Timothy, and I know that he's not going to let me down. I know that what I care about, he cares about. I know that what I am driving for in my ministry, Timothy is driving for in, my, in his ministry. He has the same mindset as Paul, which is ultimately to live as Christ. Paul mentioned that back in chapter 1. To live as Christ, to die as gain, and that drives the entirety of Paul's ministry. To live is for Christ. It's about Christ because Christ has taken over all of who I am. And he influences and impacts and changes everything that I do. Everything that I say is driven by Christ. And Paul knows that Timothy has that exact same mindset. Timothy is going to be sent to Philippi, not as Paul's replacement. Look in verse 24. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Paul is not sending Timothy as Paul 2.0. Paul fully expects to be there. He is confident in the Lord. Whether that's confident because the Lord has actually told him he will get back to Philippi, or maybe it's confident in the Lord in the sense of, I've given all my travel plans up to the Lord. In the Lord, I'm confident. He could change his mind. But as far as I know, or change my mind, as far as I know, I am confident that I will be there. Timothy's going ahead of me, not as Paul's replacement, but as an extension of Paul's heart and Paul's ministry. When Timothy shows up, it's not Paul, but Paul's ministry shows up. 
He carries on the same heart, the same vibe, the same feel, the same drive that Paul has. Paul's description of Timothy emphasizes to the Philippians that they should be excited, that they should be glad and rejoice when Timothy shows up. Don't be disappointed that it's not Paul. Don't be sad that this guy didn't show up. Timothy's not like a junior associate. He's not the, he's not the backup. We need to be excited when Timothy shows up because it is as if Paul is here with us right now. He is carrying along that ministry. There's a lot more we could probably dig out of Timothy, but let's move on to Epaphroditus. Again, this is, remember, this is all we've got about Epaphroditus in the scriptures. We don't really know much else. But what Paul says, he begins with, but I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. Why? Presumably with this letter, Epaphroditus came from Philippi to give some help to Paul, and presumably Epaphroditus is now coming back because Paul says, I'm sending him back now for their benefit. He wants the Philippians to gain benefit from somebody showing up, and it's Epaphroditus. I want to send him back, and we look in verse 28. I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad. It's for their benefit. Rejoice and be glad when you see this guy show up. There's a lot of things going on as to why they would be glad to see Epaphroditus and to see him alive. Just as Timothy embodied verse 4 of chapter 2, we see Epaphroditus, he embodies chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. That's right in the Christ hymn. You can look there. This is talking about Jesus, of course. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. That's specific to Jesus. But here's the important part that Epaphroditus really examples for us. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, Epaphroditus did not die. He, did, he was not executed on a cross, but he submitted himself. He humbled himself to the point of death, being willing to die for the cause of Christ, being obedient to death. These two guys, in different ways, in different contexts, in their slightly different ministries with Paul and to Paul and to the church in Philippi, they stand out as great examples of what it means to live like Jesus. You and I will have different examples as we look around this church and the church globally. You and I, as we just sit back, sit back and think, you could bring to mind people in your life who are examples of what it means to live like Jesus. Could you not? Do you not have those people in your life that you can, you can just picture right now as we are talking about those who we look towards as examples of Jesus? I can see those faces right now of people who have gone before me in ministry and stand as great examples. That's these two guys. They're not just randoms that Paul throws in. He's not just giving a travel update. He's giving us strong examples of men who lived like Jesus. And they lived and served, in this case, talking about Epaphroditus, they served as brothers, co-workers, fellow soldiers. That's verse 25, the end of verse 25 there, or in the middle. I'm eager to send Epaphroditus to you, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. That is, they had worked and strived so hard together as examples of what it means to live as Jesus Christ, living out him, that bonds were forged. 
that people who otherwise, Epaphroditus with a Greek name in all likelihood was a Greek himself, opposite of what Paul would have been drawn towards as a Jew in terms of his pharisaical lifestyle. You do not mix with, work with, come together with, and bond with Greeks. You, you have different interests, but the interests of Jesus Christ, the cause of Christ, has brought them together and forged bonds of brotherhood. He's a co-worker. He's not a servant of Paul. He works directly beside Paul. Paul has no sense, and we sometimes do this, don't we, when we read about Paul, and we read through the book of Acts, and we see all of the wonderful, miraculous things that God did in Paul. We kind of almost put Paul on a little bit of a pedestal. We just elevate him a little bit. Look at how much he did. He wrote parts of the New Testament. Well, that's, he wrote a lot more than James. We've only got five chapters from James. He's got to be a little bit bigger and better than James. We just subconsciously do this. We elevate who Paul is. And yet Paul had no sense of that. He had nothing in him that he, he saw himself as one step ahead of those that served alongside him. Co-workers, fellow soldiers, that is Paul's view in what they were doing, was fighting for the gospel, the cause of Christ. Epaphroditus, Paul's brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, but was the hands and feet, the ministry hands of the Philippians, their action and service. They couldn't get there. They couldn't do what they wanted to do. And so Paul says that he was your messenger, that you sent to take care of my needs. Epaphroditus took the long trek, likely to Rome, where Paul was in prison, roughly 40 days travel, He took that on himself to bring help to Paul as an extension of the Philippians. So as much as Timothy, when Timothy shows up in Philippi, he is an extension of Paul's ministry. When Epaphroditus showed up in Rome, he was an extension of the Philippians' ministry to Paul. Paul was very excited and glad that Epaphroditus showed up. He was their help when they couldn't themselves give help. The end of verse 30 there says, he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give. Not because they didn't want to, but because of distance, they were just not able to. You couldn't send an entire church on a 40-day journey to help Paul. But Epaphroditus took that on himself to be their hands and feet. And he cares deeply for the Philippians. He cares deeply for, for Paul, but cares deeply for the Philippians as well. Verse 26, he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. This is the kind of guy, this is the kind of individual that I don't want to say is rare, but it's rare for me to see personally somebody who is on their deathbed and is more worried about others than they are about themselves. Have you met people like that? Have you seen people like that? I saw that in my grandmother as she passed away a few months ago back in August. Every time we went to visit her, as she continued to decline and got worse and worse and worse physically, as she could no longer move the right side of her body, as she could no longer hold your, hold your hand properly, as she could no longer really keep her eyes open, still her first concern was how we were feeling and handling this. She was not concerned in the least bit about her physical situation, certainly not about her spiritual. She knew where she stood in Jesus Christ. And she was far more concerned about her grandkids and how they were handling it. That's unique. That's the mindset of Christ. Caring about others above all else. Even when he's on his deathbed, he cares for and is longed. And he's actually hurting because the Philippian church hurts because he hurts. Everybody's hurting for everybody else. 
kind of this weird merry-go-round thing where everybody, I'm so sorry that you're distressed, and they're sorry that he feels distressed and sick, and everybody is just so concerned about everybody else. And yet his recovery, because there was a recovery, it was a miracle. It was a gift not owed to him or Paul. It was the mercy of God. God did not owe it to Paul. God did not owe it to Epaphroditus. He did not owe it to the church at Philippi to heal him. But in verse 27, Paul recounts, indeed, he was ill and almost died. It was very serious. It wasn't a joke. It wasn't just like he caught a cold. He was very close to death. But God had mercy on him. And the mercy on Epaphroditus was gaining his health back. The mercy on Paul, we are just told, was being spared sorrow on sorrow. We're not told specifically what those sorrows are. And yet, in this situation, we can see the tension. Paul has just finished, in verse 18, the section we looked at last week, Paul said, be glad and rejoice. Even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, even if I die, be glad and rejoice. And there's that element of Christian understanding where in Jesus Christ, we do not need to be sad because we know where we stand in Jesus Christ. And yet, here's the tension, Paul says, and yet if Epaphroditus had passed away, I would have had sorrow upon sorrow. We do not grieve like the world, and yet Paul recognizes it is sad when people leave this life. It would have been sad for Paul to lose a brother, to lose a co-worker and a fellow soldier. There is sorrow when we lose friends and family who love Jesus. It is sad and it brings sorrow to us when those that serve alongside us are no longer there. We don't have to deny that. We don't have to try to get over that. But that sorrow is rooted in the joy of the gospel. It's framed and seen through the lens of where we stand in Jesus. And Epaphroditus given mercy by God, shown mercy by God. He is healed, and this is cause for great joy and honor. Verse 29, So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. Don't think that Epaphroditus is coming back because he's failed, because he got too sick, because he could not handle the work. I'm sending him back for your benefit. I want you to know that he's okay. I want him to be able to minister in and among you. Don't think that Paul, that Epaphroditus failed me. Don't think that he's failed you in representing you well. Welcome him. Rejoice and honor him. Because the work of Christ is worth dying for. It's worth going all in on. It's worth risking everything for. The cause of Christ is worth your entire person, your entire being, all that you are. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. That's a nice hymn, but if you sing it without meaning it and understanding what that means, everything that you are, Epaphroditus had given everything that he was to the point of death because the cause of Christ, the gospel, was worth it. There's a couple of things about these two guys. Now what I'd like to do is just give you a few notable things about these guys and then we'll move into quickly our response to these two guys. First thing that we see about these two guys is that their theology influenced and drove their actions. What they thought and believed and understood about God, what they understood about Jesus Christ and the word, what they understood about who he was drove what they did. Paul was willing to die for Christ. 
Timothy was willing to serve alongside somebody who was going to be executed. Epaphroditus was willing to die, we're not quite sure from what, had been taken ill. He was willing to risk it all for Jesus Christ because they believed what they believed. Now, this isn't unique to necessarily Christianity. There are people who are willing to die for what they believe. But what is unique about this is that it's true. Is that the gospel is true. Is that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. Because the word is true and what they stand on is true. The second thing we see about these guys is that the cause of Christ forged bonds between them that nothing could break. It forged bonds that in some sense doesn't make sense. But when you work alongside, striving together with, side by side, for one cause, willing to risk it all for each other and for the sake of Jesus Christ, that creates bonds in ways that just can't be explained. Number three, their greatest efforts were poured into everyone else. That comes through pretty clear, that their priority in serving beside each other was not for their own personal gain, not for their own personal benefit, but was for the benefit and the cause of others. They cared more about each other than they did about themselves. And the fourth thing we see about these guys in Paul's description of them is that Paul cares far more about their character than about their ministry growth. Paul cares more about describing what these men are like as opposed to what their ministries are like. So he doesn't talk about how Timothy, when he showed up in Philippi, and when Paul and Silas, did you notice that it was Paul and Silas go to prison? They're in the Philippian prison, and there's that account with the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved after the earthquake? Where is Timothy in all that? Have you ever wondered that? Timothy went with them. He's one of the guys who's actually a missionary with the two of them. Where is he? Presumably, and this is me taking some hopefully sanctified imagination, I think Timothy is still ministering to that church. He's still ministering, ministering to those new believers who have just put their faith in Jesus Christ. Paul and, Timoth- Paul and Silas are gone. They're in prison, and he can't break them out. What are you going to do? You pick up their work. You pick up where they left off. Timothy continues to serve in this church, and Paul doesn't talk about any of that. He talks about their character, who they are as men before God. He cares more about their character than about the fact that Timothy grew a Bible study from five guys to 50 that he grew the church from 50 people to 500 people. None of that is listed. He cares about their character. So what do we do with this? Our response to Paul's mentioning these two men, because he brought them up for a reason, as examples of living for Jesus. The first thing is this. The thing that we should do is find people like this. Find people like Timothy and Epaphroditus to watch and learn from, and ultimately emulate by serving alongside them. That comes through. Epaphroditus was a co-worker and fellow soldier serving side by side. Timothy worked alongside Paul in ministry. And what we need to do is find people like this who have hearts for Jesus, who are known for their examples of what it means to live in a Christ-like way. You find people like that, and don't just look at them and observe them. You get in the trenches with them. You serve alongside them. You work with them. Because that is how Timothy learned. Like a son with a father. We need to learn from people like this. God has graciously given to his church and this church people who are Christ-like examples.
in different ways, in different ministries. And when you spot one of them, you go work with them. You want to learn what it means to live like Christ? You want to learn what it means to be like Timothy and Epaphroditus? You go work with them. You serve with them. And the second thing, and Paul brings this out in the end of verse 29, this is the last thing we'll say about this. Our response to Paul's mentioning these two men, find people like them, find people like this, and honor them. Paul says that. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. The biggest question is, what does it mean to honor? What does it mean to honor them? To honor them is really to honor Christ's work in them. It's not just um, as if we're trying to push prideful thoughts on another individual. It's really honoring what Christ has done in them and the work, the mercy that God has on individuals. We do not honor people like this. We do not honor people who have given it all for Christ, who have laid it all on the line for Jesus Christ. We do not honor people like this primarily by giving them a check or giving them a plaque on the wall or even naming a a room after them in the church ministry building. Not that there's anything inherently wrong with that. It is right to recognize the work that people have done. There's nothing wrong with recognizing and giving a check. There's nothing wrong with giving a plaque in recognition of what people have done. But let's not delude ourselves to think that anything we could give to any individual who has served on the front lines for Jesus Christ, let's not delude ourselves into thinking that what we can give them is anything better or even coming close to what Jesus is going to give them, the crown that he will give them when they get to glory. Anybody that we called up here and we wanted to recognize for acts of service and Christ-like attitude and the work that they gave in the life here of Crestwick, we could give them a plaque from Crestwick Baptist Church to so-and-so for their dedicated work in children's ministry or women's ministry or on-site ministry. We could do that, and it's right to recognize that. But they would have every right to look at that plaque, smile at all of you, and say, this is nothing compared to what Jesus is going to give me. The crown, the jewels that will be on that crown compare in no way to what we can give them and the recognition we can give them. The crown Jesus has for them is far better than anything you can give. And maybe in some sense we honor them by longing to see that crown one day. I was reading a book about Tom Carson this past week. Tom Carson was the father of D.A. Carson, the worldwide New Testament scholar. Tom Carson was a pastor in French Canada, in Quebec, and he served for many, many years. Saw very little optical fruit for his labors. And D.A. Carson recounts one course he was taking about the Baptist churches in Ontario and Quebec, and the lecturer at the end of his message, after giving an account of the things that Tom Carson went through and the ministry that he had, the lecturer's response was, the first thing I want to do when I get to heaven is see Tom Carson's crown, to see what that looks like. Because nobody else understands what he did. Nobody else saw half of the efforts that he gave for the cause of Christ, but Jesus saw it all. Jesus saw everything. And he will give him a crown for how he served. I think primarily we honor people like this. We honor the Timothys, the Epaphrodituses, the Pauls, the way we honor the people that are floating around in your head right now of Christ-like examples. We honor them by longing for the things that they long for. 
and by serving alongside them, to do what Timothy did in Philippi when Paul and Silas went to pray. You want to honor Timothy? You want to honor your mentor? You want to honor Paul and Silas even though they're in prison? You want to honor them? You pick up where they left off and you serve. You want to honor those people who are Christ-like examples? Work with them. Take on that same heart of service about caring more about others than about yourself. That's how we honor these people because these people, Timothy and Epaphroditus, they didn't need the plaque. They didn't need Paul's kind words here. They weren't serving in Rome and in Philippi just to get a nice shout out in the letter back to Philippi. That's not why they served. They served for Jesus Christ and him alone. They don't need that recognition from other people. What they really need What's really needed and desired by people who have gone all in for Christ is more people. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So when you see those workers, let's work alongside them. That'll look different for each and every one of us. That'll look different in your context, depending on who you're close with, the people you interact with, the Bible study you go to, the people you talk to here on Sunday, your own specific gifts and abilities. If you don't know how to cook, don't go into cooking ministry. There's a reason I don't help out in the kitchen for onside stuff. I don't know how to do it. But you find that place. You find that person and you go, I want to be like them. And I want to be like them because they're like Jesus. And I want to ultimately be like Jesus. That's what we do this week. We look for people and honor those who serve Jesus. Father, we, we ask now that as we just take some short thoughts from Paul on guys that we will only meet in glory, guys that we won't know much about until we get to glory. We pray that you would help us to see and recognize and honor these people, men and women, who have given it all for Jesus. And we pray that you would grow in us that strong desire, that strong inkling to serve alongside these people all for the glory of Jesus and the good of your people. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, help us, we pray this morning, to live for you. Help us to stand for truth. Help us to stand for Jesus and who he is and what he's done. Help us to be excited and rejoice over the salvation that we have so that it might just flow out of who we are, so that it might spark conversations with people around us. Lord, help us to live for you. And it's in Jesus' name that we ask and pray. Amen.